Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Now tonight, we are finishing uh, another series called Money Talks. Uh, so it's only a two-week series. We started last week, and we're finishing off tonight. Then we're going to go into our next series. Now here's the thing. In this church, about once a year, at least once a year, we preach about money. Now, the reason why we preach about money once a year is because it's pretty difficult to preach what Jesus spoke about and never preach about money. It's nearly impossible. Do you know that Jesus told about 35 or maybe 38 parables? And of those 35 or 38 parables, more than half of them had to do with money or possessions. So if we were to invite Jesus as a guest speaker here tonight, and he told us he's going to come and give us a parable there is a 50 to 60% chance he would have been speaking about money. In the Bible, we find about 2,500 scriptures on money and possessions. So again, if you want to be a church that preaches the Bible, you can't get around the topic of money. You're going to have to preach about it. So we make sure we work that into our diet in this church. Now, here's an interesting thing for you to take note of. Jesus spoke more about money than what he spoke about heaven or hell and many other things. More than half of his parables was about money. But get this, none of those parables, none of the things he said about money was actually about money. You see, he spoke about money a lot, but he wasn't after money. Not once did Jesus ask for money, yet he spoke about it the whole time. So what was he after? He was after our hearts, because he knows that our wallets and our hearts are very closely connected. You can't have the one without the other. They always go together. If he doesn't have your stuff, he doesn't have you. And so the reason why Jesus spoke about it so much wasn't because he was after your wallet. No, no, no. He's after you. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. And he knows this is one of those things that often keeps us away um, and limits us in life. Now, I love the fact that the Bible speaks so much about money and possessions because it says that God loves us enough that he wants to help us in this life. He doesn't only want to give us a ticket to heaven one day. He wants to help us to live life in a wise way right now. And a big part of your life, whether you like it or not, will be finances. Whether you like money or not, it will be a big part of your life. And that is why we need godly wisdom when it comes to that topic. Now, money talks, right? Money talks. It tells a story. If you were to draw my bank statement of this year and the last couple of years, you would be able to tell a story of Arbol. Because money talks. It tells a story of the things I value. Money is a currency of value, and I give it toward the places that I value. So if you look at my budget, you look at my statement, my bank statement, you would be able to see the things that I love, the things that I get excited about, and the things that I really care for. And so the big question that I was confronted with this week is that if one day it's my funeral and all that the people can see of me and of my life is my bank statement, what is the story that money will tell about me? It's maybe a question you want to ask yourself. What is the story that money will tell about you? Because money tells a story. It tells about the things that you value, the things that you like. Love. So not only does money talk, but we were playing about with this concept last week and also tonight, this week, 
that imagine for a moment that your money could physically talk. Imagine those you know, notes in your wallet can actually talk to you. But not only that, imagine that your money was for you. It wasn't against you. It was for you. It wants the best for you. It has your best interest at heart. And it could give you a little bit of advice. What would your money tell you? Now, three things that I think your money would tell you. Maybe there are more things that it would tell you, but I quickly want to mention three things, and Donnie spoke about two of them actually last week. The first thing that your money would tell you, if it was for you and it could speak to you, it would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I'm a means to an end, but not an end in itself. Donnie likened it to a tool. A tool in itself is not amazing. Money in itself is not meaningful. But it has the potential to become meaningful when you use it for something outside of yourself. Money has no meaning in itself, but it has the potential to become meaningful by the way that you use it, especially if you use it beyond yourself. But money is not the meaning of life, but it can add meaning to your life if you use it in the right way. Second thing money will tell you is that Keep track of me or else you will lose track of me. Money will tell you, I'm easy to keep track of, but very difficult to catch up with. How many of you want to say amen right now? Because you already know where this is going, right? Have you ever had that month where you think like, where did all my money go? It's like half middle of the month. You've got nothing left and you don't know where it went. It's just like, You've got no clue where your money went. Or have you ever found yourself in debt, so far in debt that you thought it was easy to catch up, but then you realize it's not that easy to catch up with your money? Let me ask you a question. When you had that experience, how did it make you feel? In that moment where you realized that I've got no clue where I spent my money. <laughs> did it make you feel like safe and secure? No. It stole your peace of mind. You did not experience peace, right? Your money will tell you, I'm easy to track, but lose track of me, and you will lose your peace of mind. If money loves you and it, and it could speak to you, it would tell you, I'm going to steal your peace of mind if you don't keep track of me. You see, the reason why this is so important, and it might sound, well, this is good advice, like this is a good financial seminar, but when are we going to get to the preaching? But listen to this. Donnie spoke a bit about this last week. In Matthew 25, uh, there's this parable Jesus, or not a parable, yeah, no, it is a parable Jesus tells, and he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Donnie spoke about it last week, that we are not owners. We are only managers of the resources that God has given us. Your time, your talents, and your treasures, your money is something that the master has placed in your hand. It's actually his budget that you are managing for him. And that is why you cannot afford to say, well, I don't know exactly what's happening in my budget. It's wrong because it's not your money. You know, I've been asking myself this question, what would my finances look like if I really, really just saw myself as a manager of God's budget and not as a owner? You see, for some of us, if you say, well, you know, finances, not my thing. I'm an extrovert. You know, I'm not like those accountants. They're really boring. They, they keep track of everything, right? And you say, well, that's just not my thing. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to be an expert at it. But you can't not 
have a grip on your finances. Why? Because it is your spiritual act of worship. If you really love Jesus and you want to worship Jesus, then you should worship Him with everything in your life, including your finances. So you cannot afford not to be good when it comes to money. Now, this is, there's a whole sermon in this, and I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to bore you with that sermon. I'm going to bore you with another sermon, because later on I want to speak a bit about tithing and um, explain a bit about that. But for this, we've actually, we are in the process of putting together a course on finances. We're calling it Money Matters. Why? Because money matters. It is important, and we're speaking about money matters. And I've actually asked a couple of uh, guys that are professional financial advisors. They do it for a living. They're not pastors like me, so they know more about money than what I do. So I asked them, you guys are the expert. Will you help us develop a course, and then they are going to present the course? And so if you are, are at a place where you realize that part of your spiritual act of worship, you need to become better at money. You need to become better at budgeting, at keeping track of your budget, because it doesn't help you have a budget where you don't keep track. And maybe you need to grow in the area of, you know, not making debt, bad debt. Maybe it's a growth um, in terms of investing, or how do I save? And if you want advice on those things, We've got people in this church that would love to help you. And so this course, it's going to start in the beginning of May. It's on Tuesday evenings. So make sure you can even register for this already now if you want to decide to make the commitment right now. But I also want to challenge you. There are probably people in your community group that knows more about money than what you do. So ask them. Ask them. Proverbs teaches us that there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And when there's no guidance, people fall. So make sure you use the advice that you find in this building. Third thing that money will tell you, if it could talk and it was for you, it would say that I am a better servant than master. Here's, a, here's something that money will tell you. I always go where you send me. Right? Think about that for a moment. That's why money is not a very good master. It only obeys you. I mean, it's quite ironic. Sometimes we think like, oh, I don't know where my money went, but, but you sent it. <laughs> You sent it in a certain direction. Money will tell you, I always and I only go where you send me. That's the only place I go, is where you send me. Therefore, don't put me in charge. You need to take charge. Don't put me in charge. You need to take charge. It's part of your spiritual act of worship. Make sure that you take charge of your finances. Not only the 10%. You know, in church, sometimes we think we're only called to help one another with our 10%. No, no, no. We are called to help one another with 100% of our budget because there is freedom in all of those things. Jesus came to give us life and give us life in abundance. And therefore, we want to help each other on every level when it comes to finances. Still on this topic, Luke 16, verse 13. Donnie preached about it last week. Jesus says the following, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know what's interesting about this verse? Have you thought about it? Jesus does not say, you cannot serve two masters, you can't serve God and the devil. Right? He doesn't say you can't serve God and the devil. He says God and money. Does that mean that God is threatened by money? Does it mean that money is evil and it's the enemy of God? No, no, no. God doesn't have a problem with money. God has a problem with the worship of money. You see, anything that will steal your worship from Him, 
He's jealous about that. He's jealous about your worship, and your worship belongs to him. And he does not want to share your worship with anything else. And he knows the one thing that can so easily steal our worship is money. And that is why God says, you can't serve two masters, either God or money. Now, you might ask, well, how do I worship money? It's not like I put like a hundred rand note in my room, and then I bow before it, and I sing worship songs to it. And, you know, you don't worship your money in that way. How do you know you're worshiping money? It's a couple of ways. The first is if you find your value and your identity in something, you're busy worshiping it. You see, if you find your value in your identity and how much money you earn, if that's the thing that makes you feel good about yourself, you are worshiping money. You see, you can only find your value and your identity, who you are, you can only find it in God, not in how much money you earn. Otherwise, you've got a misplaced worship because you're thinking money is too important because it's defining who you are. The second way that you know that you are busy worshiping money, perhaps, is the thing that you trust. What do you trust in for your security? To feel like, I feel secure, I'm okay. Do you trust your income or do you trust God? You see, if the place of your security, the thing that you trust, the thing that you put your faith in is money, the thing that you hope will bail you out is money, you are actually worshiping money instead of only worshiping God. Now, the question then becomes, okay, how do I make sure that I don't worship money? Now, I want to say this. There are many ways. The Bible teaches many, many things when it comes to this topic. And in the end, it's never about the money. When Jesus thought about money, it was never about the money. It was always about the worship. And so the question, how do I make sure that I don't pollute my own heart when it comes to money? Because if you allow it, money will pollute your heart and it will steal, steal your worship. So how do I make sure that I keep my worship focused on God? I want to give you one way. One way, this is the main way for me. And I know for many other people, this is also like their number one way, but it's not the only way. But I want to teach on this thing, and this is tithing. The way that I make sure that my heart is surrendered to God and that I see Him as my provision, not my income, is I tithe each and every month. Whenever there's money coming in, off the top, not at the end of the month, off the top, I tithe, I invest it into the church, and I say, God, I give it to your work, to your kingdom, because I'm actually giving it to God and saying, God, you are the one that I worship. I know that everything I receive is actually from you. Now, a misconception that we sometimes have when it comes to the tithe is that we think a tithe is like we give God 10% and then the 90%, that's mine, right? That's mine. No, that's not the point of the tithe. You know what the point of the tithe is? It's to remind you that the 100% is actually his. That's the reason I do it. That's the reason why the Bible teaches us actually to do it. Is that when we get that money and we pay the 10%, remember God doesn't need your money. And what's he going to do with your 10%? Especially if you're a student. But let me just say the students, God wants you to tithe. I, I believe it. That's, that's my conviction. And you might differ with me on that. But in my opinion, I believe if you are a student, oh man, it will be the best thing for you to start tithing. Even if you don't have much money. Because it's not about the money. It's about your heart saying, God, in recognition, in honoring that everything that I've just received with my pocket money or my salary is actually yours. It comes from you. 
I honor you in this way in the form of a tithe. Now, before I just read through a couple of scriptures on this, because I, I believe there's a lot of clarity needed on this topic of tithing, let me just quickly ask you this question. Who taught you about tithing? Maybe like you, uh, you, this is the first time you ever hear about it, like in church or in your family, because your parents didn't really do it. But I think for most of us, there was someone that taught you this principle of tithing. Who was it for you? I remember my dad, he taught us when we were very young, sitting in church, he would give us like a five rand coin each, and when the collection bucket came around, we would throw that in. And he was the first one, I was asking why, and he was explaining that to me from a very young age. He wanted me to be a man that ties. And I asked the question, why? Why? Because he loved me. He wanted something good for me. Let me ask this question in another way. Uh, so some of us here have got children, right? But many of the people here don't have kids yet, but many people sitting here, you've got a desire to have a kid one day, right? One day you want to have children. Let me ask you this question. Will you teach them about tithing or not? The reason I'm asking that question is if you believe it will be good for my child, then you will teach it to them out of love because you believe it's going to be good for them. It's going to keep their heart grounded. It's going to keep their heart worshiping. Let me ask you another question. How will you teach them? What will you teach them? And so now I want to take a bit of time uh, for a teaching moment. And I think a question that many Christians ask when it comes to tithing is this question. Isn't tithing like something from the Old Testament? Like, you know, from the law of Moses, meaning now that Jesus has come, we don't have to tithe anymore, you know, because all that is part of the law. He came to finish the law and, you know, we're living in freedom. We don't have to do that anymore. I suppose that's one of the questions that many people have. But I'll quickly want to show you that tithing is much like a teaching on keeping the marriage bed pure or forgiving your neighbors when they wrong you. Those teachings, including tithing, is not there to put a bondage on you, but it's actually there to help you get rid of a bondage that might already be on you. It's something that's good for your own heart. It's something for you. It's not something to take uh, a teaching to take anything away from you. Now, I believe that tithing is a principle and not a law. The first place, and now you're welcome to make notes, go study this during this week, or you can try and uh, follow with me. Uh, in Genesis 4, this is like right in the beginning, there's a story of Abel and Cain. So that's where I get my name, Abel, from the Bible. It's a weird name, right? But it's in the Bible, so I'm cool with that. And so there's the story of Abel and Cain bringing an offering, and they were the sons of Adam and Eve. So this was pretty early in the Bible, right? And then there's this offering that they bring. And then Abel brings an offering. He also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And so we see this idea of Abel saying, no, no, I bring my best of the first fruit. I don't wait for all uh, of the sheep to lamb and then see if I've got enough before I give. No, no, of the first fruit. I bring of the fat portions. I bring to God. And then Genesis 14, as well as Genesis 28, Genesis 14, we see Abraham, and he, is, he goes to war, um, and he's victorious in battle, and then he gains lots of treasure. And when he gains this treasure, there was a man that actually blessed him, and this man was Melchizedek. He was a priest of God. And then, to honor God in, in a way of saying that this victory that I've just gained, this treasure that I've just gained, is actually because of God giving it to me. 
He gives one-tenth to Melchizedek. It says, uh, Genesis 14, verse 20, Then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all he had taken, or all that he has received. And then Genesis 28, we see Jacob, this is uh, uh, Abraham's grandson. He makes a vow to God and says, God, if you're going to be my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you. And he builds a pillar uh, or that's going to be God's house. And then he, um, uh, Genesis 28, verse 22 says, And of all that you will give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So does Jacob think that God is resource deprived? No. He's saying, God, everything that you're going to give me, I'm going to give back a tenth as a reminder, as a way of honoring that everything that I have is yours and that you have given me everything that I have. Now, the reason why this is important in Genesis, get this, this is 400 years before Moses arrives on the scene. Why is that important? Moses was the guy that received the law of God for the Israelites on Mount Sinai. So 400 years before Moses, 400 years before the law, tithing was already a principle. I like to think of a tithing as a principle like gravity. Whether you believe it or not, it works. It's there. It's, it's a reality. It's part of our nature. There's even some non-Christians that believe in this principle of giving. And so tithing was there even before, 400 years before the law. Then we see it uh, during the law in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then there's another passage or another, another section of the Bible called the wisdom literature. It's books like Lamentations, Proverbs, and Job, and, and some of those books. It's a bit of wisdom that gets shared with us. And it speaks about this principle over and over again. So we get it before the law. We get it during the law. We get it in wisdom literature. Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Everything you get. In our case, we're not an agrarian society anymore, so we get income, we get a bonus now and then. Of all of our income, we give a first fruit back to God. And we honor God with that. And then there's another section in the Bible, not the wisdom literature, but the prophets. You see, you get the major prophets and the minor prophets. So basically the major prophets weren't big and the minor ones small. It's just like they wrote more. So they had like, they spoke a lot. Uh, it's like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And then you get the minor prophets. They only wrote like three or four chapters. And they also speak about this principle. God challenging the Israelites. And there's one place where he even says in Malachi that you've robbed me. You've rob and they ask, how did we rob you, God? You've robbed me in tithes. Again, was God resource deprived? Was he bad at stewarding his own finances? No. They were missing worship because they weren't, they weren't bringing the full tithe. Malachi 3 verse 10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so in that chapter the people had a worship problem. They didn't have a tithing problem. They had a heart problem. They had a worship problem. They weren't trusting God. And he was telling to them, bring the full tithe. Because he was actually speaking about their hearts, saying, you're not trusting me. You need to trust me again and see how I will bless you. I am your provider. And this verse has been taken out of context because God says, I promise you, I will bless you. If you put me first, I will bless you. And I've seen this. That God does keep true to his word, even when it comes to finances. But sometimes the blessing is even more than just finances. Sometimes the blessing is in the form of contentment. When we put God first, we get that contentment that we realize, well, 
I don't need money because I've got God. God blesses in many different ways. And then that was the last uh, book in the Old Testament, Malachi. So we see it before the Lord, during the Lord, throughout the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament. The question, did Jesus say we should stop tithing? That's a good question, right? And so there's this very interesting verse. It's in actually two places. It's in um, Luke 11, verse 42, and then also in Matthew 23, verse 23. Luke 11, 42, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. Now, they were experts when it comes to tithing. They were literally tithing on herbs. So I don't know, maybe they were planting little herbs in a garden or someone would bless them with herbs. Then they will cut off like one-tenth and they will tithe that. I mean, that's how serious they were when it comes to tithing. It says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint, mint, and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. So you see, you're tithing, but you are missing some things like justice and mercy and the love of God. And then Jesus goes on and he says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so Jesus is challenging them. Why? Because they're missing the whole point of tithing. They're tithing, but they're not growing in a love for God. They're tithing, but they're not busy worshiping God in the way that they're tithing. And so Jesus is saying, no, no, you're missing the bigger picture. You're missing the reason why we've put this principle in place. And so come back to your love for God. Come back to things like justice and mercy without stopping to do the others, without neglecting to do the others. So Jesus by no means said we should stop. He just said that we should get our heads right when it comes to the reason why we do it. It's not about the money. Tithing is not about tithing. Tithing is not about money. Tithing is about worship. That's what it's about. Now, I want to maybe switch gears a little bit and get to a bit of practical advice. Now, I've given you some scriptures, and I believe this is good wisdom from the Bible. But I honestly don't believe that you will be cursed if you don't tithe. I don't think that God is going to curse you if you don't tithe. But I do believe by doing it that you will be safeguarding yourself from some of the curses that are already existing in this life when it comes to money and, and possessions. It is something for you, not something put on you, but it's something for you. Now, when I speak to Christians and leaders even, I speak to many people, and my sense is that maybe 90% of people want to tithe. 90% of people also want to give and live generously, right? I think you're pretty sure, you'll probably agree with me, that no one that struggles to tithe, or not maybe no one, but most people that struggle to tithe, it's not a hard issue. It's not because they don't want to. Sometimes it's just a practical issue. Like you just feel like you never have enough money to do it. Or like your budget is just too tight, so you never get to that place. I really believe that for many Christians that do struggle with this, many Christians, especially in this church, get this right. They believe in this principle and they're very good at it. But there are many people that I think struggle with this. And I don't believe it's a hard issue. I don't believe it's because you don't want to. I believe sometimes it's just because no one has taught you how to. It's a bit of practical advice that you sometimes need. The reason I say that is because it happened to me. I joined this church 13 years ago, 13 and a half years ago, I think for the first year and a half. I tried to tithe, but I didn't get it right. 
And so I want to give you a little bit of practical advice that Paul gave, and I want to mix it a little bit with some of my own advice. So tonight I'm giving you some wisdom from the Bible, but I'm also giving you a bit of leadership from myself, just telling you how I do it and how I think you should do it. Now just remember, I'm not the boss of you. I'm not your boss. I'm not, I, no one can tell you what you have to do. In the end, you have to make your own decisions. But I think it would be wrong of me not to tell you the way that I think would be best for you. And so there's this beautiful scripture in 1 Corinthians 16, and Paul teaches about collecting money in the church in 1 Corinthians 16, and then also in 1, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to do 2 Corinthians 9 in our community groups this week. It's really a brilliant passage, but we won't get time for it tonight. And there's this very interesting verse. Um, Paul explains the following, and he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. And so they asked him a question about the collection. How do we do it? And he says, okay, I'm going to give you the same advice that I gave those other churches. So it seems like Paul had a particular system, a certain advice that he gave churches. And then he said the following. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So as you prosper, as there's income, as you receive put something aside. As you receive, put something aside. As you receive, put something aside. Beginning of the week, not end of the week. Beginning of the week, not end of the week. And it goes on, so that there will be no collection when I come, or no collecting when I come. And I love that. Paul's basically saying, listen, I don't want to come to your door and ask you for money. This is a decision you need to make. And so he sort of trying to address them as, as mature adults. 2 Corinthians 9, speaking to the same church, he says, each one must give as he has decided. Not as he was manipulated or forced into giving. As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, a couple of lessons I think we can take from this that has helped me extremely. And the first one is that as we prosper, we put something aside. As we prosper, we put something aside. And he speaks about this at the beginning of the week. Why not at the end of the week? You know this, right? Have you ever tried to save for something at the end of a month? It's impossible. Have you ever tried to tie it at the end of the month? So have you ever had that mindset of, of saying, well, I'll see what is left at the end of the month, and now I'll save all of that, or I'll tie you know, some of that? Does it ever work? Maybe once in seven months. And so that was my system, right, when I just... Join church. I want it. So there's nothing wrong with my heart. I promise you, nothing wrong with my heart. I want to do it. But just at the end of the month, there just seemed to be never enough money. There was nothing left. And I was like, no, but I have to eat this week. So, you know, I can't save or can't give. And Paul gives us very practical advice. And I want to give this to you also tonight. If that is your current system, I want to suggest that you change it. If something is important, you do it in the beginning of the month. It's like a cell phone bill. You're not going to negotiate at the end of the month. It's important to you to do it beginning of the month. Now, in the same way, if you are serious about this, maybe put a principle in place that whenever I receive, I'm going to put something aside. I'm going to tithe on that. Whenever I receive, and do it in the beginning. So you might receive a salary once a week. Other people have got a business, you only get money now and then. Other people, I think most people in our society, you get money once a month. And so for me, I get a salary once a month. And so it's whenever that salary comes in once a month, I put it aside and I tithe. Beginning of the month, because I know end of the month I'm going to be too weak. And I do the same 
when it comes to saving. I do the same when it comes to investing. I don't do those things at the end of the month. Real practical advice that it's giving us. And the second thing that I want to encourage you to do, the first one is to do it consistently. First one is to do it consistently. Whenever you prosper, put it aside. Whenever you prosper, put it aside. Beginning and not at the end. That's the first one. Second one is I want to suggest, if you don't have a system yet, choose a percentage. That's the safest. Because if, you'd, if you've got little, you know, 10% of little is 10% of little. And then 10% of much is a little bit more. But when it goes well, you know there's a fixed percentage. When it doesn't go that well, there's a fixed percentage. And so that's the advice that we give our leaders, that we give the people around us that are interested in our advice. That's the advice that we give. Do it proportionally and do it consistently. Don't leave it over to your emotions. Rather make a decision. If you have never made a decision, make a decision tonight to say, I'm going to go for that percentage and this is the date when I'm going to do it. Put a system in place. Paul explains to the Corinthian church, I don't want to come and do a collection. You are mature followers of Jesus. Make a decision. Put a system in place for yourself. If this is a value, put a system in place. Now, I want to quickly just, um, on that scripture, I want to explain this. So, again, I think most of you, you know how we do it in our church. But I want to explain why we do it the way that we do it. And so if you're relatively new, this is how we do it in our church. We leave envelopes on the chairs because we believe it's each believer's own responsibility to do it because it's between you and God. No one else can force you to do it. No one else can tell you even how much to do it. I believe it's a principle that you get to, to implement. And so it's your own responsibility. And I love the action of taking an envelope and putting it into that giving box or going onto your computer doing an EFT because no one is coming around to you and asking. You can see that was one of the unintended consequences of the way that I was taught about tithing. As I saw tithing as a tip that I give to God. And so when the guy preaches well, I give a bigger tip. It's like the service. And then it's no longer between me and God. It's, between, it's a performance management bonus, right? It's no longer between me and God. I've been part of this church through five different leaders. Do you not think that there were some difficult times in this church? Do you not think there's, there's ever been a time where I did not agree with the person leading the church? Of course there was. But tithing has got nothing to do with me and that guy leading the church. It's got everything to do with me and God. As long as I'm part of this church, I'm going to obey God and I honor God when it comes to my tithe. And so the reason why we don't do baskets anymore because we believe it's each person's own decision, own responsibility, and it's something between you and God. And let me say that again, is that I do not believe that you'll be cursed if you don't tithe. But I really believe that this will help you to stay away from some of the curses that's already existing in this world when it comes to money and possessions. I want to quickly ask for the... Um, Maybe the worship team can quickly come join me. Um, Eugene, if it's fine, I don't know the song, I don't know the names of the songs. I'm not a musician, but that second song, can we do that one? Is that fine? You guys know it, that second song? Because I really want us to really just celebrate the gospel. But before we do that, I want to just end off by telling you a bit of a story of what happened uh, this one day when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him this tricky question. They ask him, what about taxes? 
should we pay taxes to Caesar? Right, because they were under Roman uh, governance, but they were the Israelites. And they say, Jesus, do you think it's lawful that we pay taxes? And so it's a brilliant story of money. And I want to finish with this story to, take, uh, to finish this uh, series that we've been doing to prove the point that God is not after your money because he doesn't need your money. He's after something bigger. He's after you. And so they ask him, Jesus, you know, taxes. Do we pay taxes or not? And then he responds by saying, give me a coin. And he takes a coin and he holds it up and he says, whose inscription is on this coin? The exact words were, whose likeness and inscription is on this? Right? And the Roman money was the same as our money. It would have some sort of a ruler's face on it. And so it had Caesar's face on this coin. Just like we've got a pound. I've got a picture of a, of a coin also there for you. And so he's holding up this coin with the face of Caesar there. And he says, whose likeness and inscription is onto this? And they say, it's Caesar. And then he goes on, he says, then therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying it's fine, pay your taxes, but there's something more important. Likeness and inscription of Caesar on that, so give it to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. And is he speaking about a tithe? No, he's not speaking about your tithe. If you're not picking up what I'm putting down, let me remind you, Genesis 1 verse 26, when you were created, when you were planned, how did God make you? Genesis 1 26 says, then God says, holding up mankind, he's holding you up. He says, how are we going to make mankind? He says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. If we hold you up tonight, whose image and likeness is on you? It's God's. He inscribed himself on you. He made you in his own image. God is not after a tithe. He's not after you. He's after your worship. He's after all of you. You belong to God. That's why you need to worship God. This is so important. I want to maybe just give an opportunity. If you've never made the decision to give yourself back to God, I want to give you an opportunity right now to maybe raise your hand. Last week, there was a guy that came to me after the service, and he said, I want to start serving Jesus with everything I have. If that's you tonight, you want to make a decision to say, God, I want to render to you what is yours. I want to give myself back to you. I want to ask you to raise your hand because we'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you this new life. Anyone like that, welcome to raise your hand. It takes a lot of boldness, a lot of people sitting with their eyes open. But this is something I believe that should be public. Saying, God, I want to serve you. The world can know anyone like that. One more chance. Anyone that says, tonight, God, I want to give myself back to you. There's a young man there at the back. Come on, let's celebrate that. I praise you, God. Just keep your hand up. Just keep your hand up, because it's a big moment for you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? There's a lady with her hand up there. Come on, let's celebrate with her. This is big. And there's another woman there. There's another lady there with her hand up. I want to ask you to keep your hand up. Because this should be public. This should be, yes, me. I belong to God. His likeness is inscribed on me. And I give myself back to God. Is there anyone else? 
So as you've got your hand up, just as you are, I want to quickly speak to you. We're going to send there's another lady with her hand up in the front. Well done for your boldness. Come on, let's celebrate with her. Thank you, Jesus, for calling your people back to, to the Father. Praise God for you. Keep it nice and high because it is a big moment. We're going to send someone from our ministry team, a leader to you, because we'd love to hear your story. And We believe that tonight is the first step of a new life where you're no longer going to live for yourself, but you're going to live for God because you know that His image and likeness is inscribed on you and you, He deserves your worship. And so while we're going to respond in worship, we want to ask you to take some time there at the back of New Life, uh, New Life Lounge. They're going to give you a little booklet, make contact with you, because we would love for you to be in community with us. If you came with a friend, you're welcome to take your friend with you, um, because we really believe that discipleship is important. It's not a, this is not a moment. This is the beginning of a new life. We celebrate that with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you save people. We thank you that you've called us back to you, God. We thank you that we get to belong to you. And God, we want to worship you. I want to ask that everyone stand with me as we respond in worship. We're going to sing about the good news of Jesus. We're going to make his praises known right now in this next song. Jesus, you deserve all of our worship, God. Not only when it comes to our finances, but with everything in our lives, we worship you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.